All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. You're listening to Dropping the Gloves with former NHL All-Star John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Dropping the Gloves. Episode, I think, four, 400 and something, Tim. It's crazy. And you know what's funny? 400 episodes, and this might be our best one yet. It's unbelievable when you think of hockey players, when you think of people, it just to epitomize what it means to be a hockey player. This is the player you think of. Does everything right. Stays out of the headlines. Just a consummate professional. It's Ryan McDonough. Can you believe we have Ryan McDonough on the show today? It's unbelievable. Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Oh, thanks for the invite. Glad we could uh, hook up here. Are you really? Yeah, I mean, 400 episodes. Like, why did it take me so long to get the invite? I've been asking your agent, who was my previous agent, Ben Hankinson, for about three years now. Oh, yeah. Does Ryan want to get on the show? And he's he's always like, I'll, I'll let you know. He's busy. He's, he's, he's winning Stanley Cups. He's having kids. And finally, we made it work. So thank you for coming on the show, Ryan. Oh, absolutely. So I wanted to go back to the beginning. I was uh, doing a little research. You and I have a little history. We've known each other for, I think, 10 years now, maybe a little more. We're not best friends, but I would consider you a friend. I didn't know that you won a state hockey championships with uh, Creighton Durham Hall. And that was the first state hockey championship that that uh, school had ever won. That's a pretty amazing fact. You were a junior, right? That year you won the state championships. You were named Mr. Hockey the next year, your senior season. Everybody knows Minnesota hockey is like the the hair, the flow, the this, the that. Was that a thing when you were playing back in what was that, 2007, I want to say, 2006? Yeah. We, were, we were 06 champs, yes. Yeah, so we were the 06 tournament. They didn't have they didn't have the all hockey hair team going on, unfortunately, when I was when I was coming through the ranks. But uh, you know, our, our our school was a private Catholic school. We weren't allowed to grow our hair out anyway. So none of us would have made the roster anyway. So it was good that we flew under the radar there and and uh and wasn't a part of the tournament. But man, is it it's fun to watch. No, I look forward to that video almost more than the championship game nowadays. <laughs> that all hockey hair team. He's done a great job with that. And and obviously a great job making it uh, about the community and giving back to for charity stuff. So is, is the high school hockey community in Minnesota and the surrounding area. I've been all over Minnesota. I played for the wild. So you do the little Minnesota world tour. I've been up to Ely. I've been all over the state. Yeah. Minnesota hockey is huge in high school. Is there any other state that rivals just the, 
the competition level in Minnesota, you think? No, I, I don't think so. And obviously been around guys that have grown up and played in different leagues all over the States. You're talking about, a, you know, just between the cities, I'm not even talking about Duluth and Brainerd, Warroad, uh, you know, Thief River Falls. Then you go South Rochester, just within an hour and a half, two hour radius, the, the competition is so good. Um, and that's why when I was coming through the ranks, I mean, the USHL program was kind of just getting going, but I felt no reason to to leave as far as development wise go. Cause you were playing these top teams and it was all good competition and whatnot. So, um, it, it, it really is a special thing to be able to play high school hockey in Minnesota and, and, uh, you know, for all the young kids that have gone through, I, I think they'd say the same, whether they made the state tournament or not, the, the, the just the uniqueness of the league and the, the different conferences, the little different, uh, rivalries that the schools have, yeah. uh, it, it's just unmatched. So it, it was, uh, going through it. You never know how, how great of great of a memory it might be, but, uh, you know, looking back on it, some of the best years of playing hockey with, with your buddies and, and obviously winning with them is, was the cherry on top. So probably all downhill from there after that state championship, I would imagine. Oh, I know yeah. there's nothing oh. that beats that. Yeah. College was no fun. No fun at all. <laughs> Speaking of that, you, you mentioned the, the, the hockey pedigree in Minnesota high school, you got U of M, you got St. Cloud state, you got Duluth. There's a, a Mankato state, all these great Minnesota universities, like pedigree out the yin yang for universities to choose from you, of course, from St. Paul area live in the Minnesota area. Now, you chose the University of Wisconsin, the biggest rival for the Golden Gophers. Why? I, I would assume you had offers from all these schools. You were Mr. Hockey in the state of Minnesota, 2007. These guys were probably at every game, every practice, sniffing around. Ryan, come to our school. Why the University of Wisconsin? I know. I, I kind of tried to take my heart out of it just because I felt like it was an really important decision for me, um, you know, just to develop obviously as a hockey player, but as a person too. And, you know, I, I just, I had a few offers from those schools you mentioned. It was more getting recruited my junior year, actually. Um, so I was still pretty young, but just trying to look at the picture as a whole, what would be the best fit for me to develop as a hockey player? And like I said, as a person, I love the fact that Wisconsin was three and a half hour drive away from home because I had just stayed, decided to stay in my senior year, play high school hockey, as opposed to going to juniors, moving away from home. So I felt like I needed to kind of grow up in that aspect, get away from family and friends in the area and, uh, you know, kind of mature that way. And, and that was kind of the first thing I, I, I kind of looked at is, is uh, you know, the distance away from home, not far enough away where, you know, parents can come for games and, and whatnot. But uh, as soon as I stepped on campus at Wisconsin, it just felt like a college town. I don't know if you've ever been to that city. It's, it's oh, yeah. incredible. That campus, uh, it speaks for itself as far as that college feel that you imagine in your mind. And then uh, throw on top of it the great sports teams that they've had over the years and specifically the hockey program. I love the coaching staff. Um, it just seemed like it checked all the boxes and then some as far as the potential that it would give me going forward. And, and um, you know, the second I got on campus, there, it just felt so felt like I made the right decision. So I was able to you know just kind of thrive and really enjoy the, the three years there. Even after all the Minnesota defensemen who went through the Gophers, you got the Leopolds the yeah. Martins, the Ballards, you still chose Wisconsin. That, that When I saw that, I was like, Mac, what are we doing here? It worked out for you. But that's a ballsy decision to leave home 
when you have all these guys who went before you, because I played against all those guys, you would have assumed it would have just been easy money to go to the Golden Gophers and win a couple national. Did you guys win a national championship in Wisconsin? We unfortunately, we made it to the finals. We lost to the Boston College there in my junior year. We had a good squad. We we got beat, uh, we beat pretty good by BC in the finals. But no, we made a good run. And, um, you know, just to be able to make it to that Frozen Four and, and make it to the finals was an accomplishment in itself. But couldn't cap it off. But uh, still a great, great team to be a part of. Could have been the highlight of your hockey career, maybe. Would have been, yeah. Like I said, I mean, they talk about being able to win in high school and then give it, give yourself a chance in college would have, would have been uh, really nice, but uh, didn't work out. But uh, like I said, a lot of great players, you know, could have, could have left my uh, sophomore year, actually Montreal, who I was drafted by, wanted me to leave. I wanted to stay because we had a good team. And uh, you know, like I said, college is pretty fun. Might as well try to get one more year of college when you can. And, and that's kind of how the trade went down from, from Montreal to the Rangers was they thought I was going to be kind of stalled development wise and, and uh, wanted me to sign, go play in the AHL for the whole year. And I was like, well, if that's the case, I'd like to try and win a championship here and get one more year of school and, and uh, develop a little bit more here at the college ranks. And so um, in the end, it would have been, uh, you know, extra special to win and uh, cap it off that way. But uh, all in all, great, great uh, junior year too to finish up my college. And you career. met um, another friend of mine. I think he's a very good friend of yours, Derek Stepan. You met him. Yeah. In he was, he was a year, year below me. So we played two years together and, and yeah, like I said, after my junior year, we had a, a group of 10 or 11 seniors. That was a great senior class. Obviously they all graduated. Um, Stepan was a year below me. He signed in my grade. I had Brendan Smith and Cody Golabeff who had signed and, and then I was kind of the last one to sign. So the team was kind of, uh, a lot of moving parts. So it was, it was timing wise, good to go. And like I said, that was a big reason why I wanted to stay for that junior year and, and go back to try and chase the championship down. Mistake when you look back on it? No, not at all. No, <laughs> I mean, like I said, it was, a, it was a, such a great college atmosphere to be a part of the Badger community. Uh, you know, going into it, I didn't realize the alumni, how many players played in the NHL and, and that, that, uh, you know, relationship you have with those guys forever is awesome. And, um, like I said, really helped me grow up, mature, move away from home and, and, uh, you know, kind of grow up to be a man, so to speak, and, um, get me ready for, uh, the pro ranks. It's funny how those decisions, and that obviously I, I've never had any of the, the impactful decisions like you had, if you would have caved to Montreal, that's a tough decision for a kid to make. You're probably 20 years old, 19, and you have an NHL team saying, no, come pro. If you would have went, you could have potentially been a Montreal Canadian your whole career. Isn't that wild? Have you ever think about that? Yeah, no, for sure. And, you know, like you get drafted by a team, you want to, you know, fulfill their, I guess their, your duty to them, they're, you know, they're, they're investing in you. You want to do what's best for them, so to speak. But it just felt like I needed one more year. I wanted to try to accomplish a little bit more, like I said, and did I know it was going to replicate into me getting a part of a trade out of the team? No, but um, you know, like I said, in hindsight, we had some, some pretty great years with the Rangers too. And I couldn't imagine, you know, playing anywhere else there, at least starting my career there as a rookie and, and going up the ranks, being able to play in Madison square garden and, and all the great teams we had there. So, uh, you know, that decision definitely changed my, my future in a lot of ways, but, uh, I think for the better, for sure. 
Now, Wisconsin is known as the a college town, like you said. Did you ever partake in the, the Mifflin block party, uh, Ryan? I sure did. I sure did. It was uh, it was a blast. I mean, uh, it's tough to really describe it. It's just like these just a horde of people and these, you know, backyard house parties. You're you're in these, you know muddy yard just bopping around to seeing different people here and there and and um like i said it's a great party to kind of end you know the college school year is that that's what they kind of celebrate is capping it off and there's nothing quite like it and i know they for a while there the city took it away or you know stopped it from from happening but sure enough the students revolted and it's back again and i don't see it stopping anytime soon again so um it's uh like i said as far as that college uh image and the way you 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 want to experience college that mifflin party is a is a treat to be a part of that's the first time i experienced um the three-story beer bomb was that was at a mifflin stock party and it was incredible you could fit a good 12 pack in a, in a three story beer bong. And they had oh. the, the, the extenders, a tee off. So I think six people can do it at once. I know, it was an interesting contraption. I would never do that. That's not oh. my sort of thing. I, you know, I stay far away from that, but I've heard it's an interesting contraption. All right. Going back to your, your junior year, you get traded. You mentioned Montreal was a little upset that you didn't go there did they think that you weren't going? Cause I know if you're drafted and then you don't sign a certain number of years, you become a free agent again. We, we saw it a few times that uh, Vessi yeah. did it. I think um, Hayes did it. Yeah. Was that maybe part of their thinking that you were just going to ice them out totally? Um, in my mind, it wasn't, I mean, maybe it wasn't there in their hindsight, they only, they want to get your, get their hands on you, get them in, yeah. in the system. Um, you know, in my mind, I, I kind of realized where that college team was at, like I said, we had 10 seniors. We had a good group of juniors that were probably going to sign to after that season and um, steps as well, had a great year as a sophomore. So um, yeah, I'm sure it was a part of their thought process and, and uh, you know, looking back on it, they, they, they made that big swing for Scott Gomez to try and, yep. uh, you know, kind of replicate. I think he had some chemistry. I forget with who it was uh, Gianta, I believe with New Jersey there. Yep. And you know, whether I was, just, you know, a throw in, so to speak, or they, you know, didn't want to give me up or like I said, timing wise, I know they were trying to sign me in the summer and then that's when, you know, NHL free agency and stuff is going on and, and trades happen. So maybe just the timing of me telling them I wanted to stay and them trying to add some pieces in Montreal. It, it just, uh, I was ultimately decided to move on from me. So, um, like I said, obviously you're, you're kind of shell shocked. The team that drafts you, you never even signed a contract with them, and, and you're getting traded. So, um, but obviously, I was thrilled. And, and like you said, Derek Stepan was was drafted by the Rangers, so I had a familiar face there that was, uh, you know, signing, and we were going to be rookies together. So that worked out really well to have a you know a close friend there to kind of start your your pro career together. And you started right away. You jumped into the lineup, and you were uh, early on with the Rangers. We'll we'll fast forward to that a young team, but had the makings of a really, really good team. I think the Rangers were, were slowly building that crescendo. You jumped into a situation where they had some high end guys, but I think the, you needed some seasoning Girardi, the press, the boils, the stalls, the Dubinsky's, the Gabbard. It's a really good team going yeah. there as y- y- your first year, you, you make the jump. I think you played a year in Hartford. 
play half the season my first year in Hartford and then came up right after, right after 40 games and then finished the year with the Rangers. Yeah. Did you get a sense that this team could be something like coming from a championship team in Minnesota, a really good team in Wisconsin. Did you have that sense of like, Holy moly. Like, and obviously you got lung between the, between the pipes back there. Could you tell that, Hey man, this, this could be a good situation for me coming into the NHL. Well, I mean, as you know, you're, when you're a rookie, you, you really don't know what's, what's going on or where the, I mean, I look around, I see Marion Gabrick on the team and here he was, I was watching him with the wild scoring 40 goals. And, and now I'm playing with them. It's like, Holy cow. It's an eye opening experience. This is a superstar. And now, you know, he's on the team with you. And, and like you said, I had great mentors with uh, Girardi and stall that were just, you know, playing 25, 30 minutes, you know, complete defenseman and, and I'm, you know, being able to play with, play alongside them, learn from them. I think at the time, or at least looking back on it now, you know, the thing that was great about that team is it was a lot of unselfishness and that's, you know, really hard to find at the pro ranks. I would say at times is guys, you know, just willing to sacrifice for the, for the betterment of the team. And obviously you got to give, you know, torts credit for that, for keeping guys uh, in line and in the way he, he, uh, you know, coaches, it's all about the team there. And if you're not pulling your weight, you know, he's going to let you know. So I think our group was, you know, filled with good character guys and, and looking back on it, that was obviously a huge reason why we had the potential to be successful and, and go on those long runs. Like you talked about. I joined the Rangers two years after that. So I think it would have been your third year. Yeah. You finally got to experience me. Mm-hmm. You mentioned um, torts. Tim and I were talking before you came on about, Oh, what, what does it take to be a John Tortorella player? Because he does like a certain type of player. And then we were talking about the defense that the Rangers had and we're like, well, Mac is the prototypical John Tortorella player. He just kind of keeps his mouth shut. He yeah. works his tail off at all ends of the ice at all times. Doesn't matter the score. Doesn't matter the situation. You're always giving it a hundred percent and you block shots. Like it's going out of style. You enjoy eating pucks. And we're like, well, they, you know, he's a rarity. Then you're like, Oh, well they had Strawman, and then they had stall. Well, then they had Girardi. It was, it's, it's incredible. The, the defense that the Rangers had, can you just tell, what does it take to be a Tortorella type player? Cause it, it wasn't me. He didn't like me for whatever reason. I don't know why he didn't really, we didn't jive. I don't know why either. You were there. so versatile. I'll, I'll tell the one story. I remember you we were playing in New Jersey and you were in the lineup on the board to start the game as a forward. And then uh, I think it was Mark Stahl. He was kind of having a rough game, uh, a rare rough game for him. And, <laughs> you know, Sully was a D coach and Torrance is like, Sully, take Scott back on D. And you came back in the third period and you played D like four or five shifts for us. I'm like, I've never seen this before in my life. The guy starting at forward and then coming back on D <laughs> And then, you know, just flawlessly jumping into it. Like it was not flawless. Uh, I think it was pretty flawless for, for somebody that, like you said, starts the game at a forward and then you get thrown back on D. But uh, yeah, you, that was the way, that was uh, the way towards coaches is, is he didn't wait around. He knew right away first three shifts, if you were going to have a good game or not. And you know, he was either going to ride you the rest of the game, or he was going to move on to the next option. And, and uh, like I said, that was the best thing about him. If you were given 110% every night and, and just playing honest and um, you know, going about it the right way, as, as he always said, um, you know, he played the heck out of you. So he gave you a lot of confidence to kind of 
wake up and do that again, the next game, you know? So that's the way our, I think our group just rallied that way is, is, uh, you know, he knew he was going to play if you were playing the right way and giving it, giving it your best. So I do remember the one meeting. I don't know if you were a part of that one at the time with Torts, but I love telling the story. It was like you said, all of us on the back end were big shot blockers, right? So here we are, we're getting ready for a meeting in the, the theater room. He's got the lineup, all the numbers on the board, just like you would normally see. And he's got circles around three of the forwards. And then he's got a half circle around Strawman's number, number six. And we're like, what the heck is this about? He's like, you know, he starts showing clips of Girardi blocking a shot, stall, whoever. And then he gets to the, I forget the forwards who they were, but the forward missed the block shot, the forward missed the block shot. And then he never showed one of Strawman. And it was a half circle. And we're all like, what the heck? I remember Strawman saying, why do I have a half circle? He's like, well, I don't think you always, you, you, you'll stand in front of them, but I don't know if you really want to stand in front of them. Like, do you, are you really willing to block a shot? And then sure enough, I think it was maybe one or two games later. Do you remember he had the quote board? You'd yeah. always like a quote. You'd have to put a quote up every week yeah. or something. Well, Strawman, he gets hit by this huge shot right in the right side of his thigh. He's got a bruise the size of this. He takes a picture of it on his phone, prints it out on a piece of paper and puts that up on the board for his quote. And he writes underneath it, half circle my ass. (laughs) I'll never forget the story. It's the funniest thing ever. And and obviously, you know, Torts loves that stuff. He was dying when he walked in and saw it. We were all dying. But uh, that's what I mean. He's uh, just so good about trying to get everybody to be on the same playing level, accountability wise Torts. And and, um, like I said, what a great coach for me to have as a rookie, as far as being so demanding and, and, uh, you know, also so rewarding for, for sacrificing and, you know, giving a lot of hard work to the team. And he made it really easy to play for him too. And I, listen, I, I, I'm a, I give torts a hard time because me and him didn't jive, but the one thing I will say, you knew where you stood with John Tortorella at all times. Yeah. And he made it very simple as a player because he didn't, you didn't have much gray area on the ice. You know, if the puck's there, you should be here at all times. And he, and he mapped it out very simply. And when yeah. I came into the league, I had Jacques Lemaire with the wild. He was the same type of way. He's like, if you're doing this spot, you should be here. If the puck's here, every situation, you had a good idea where you had to be. Yeah. Coming into the league as a young player, it, that's the perfect situation for you to be in, right? Like oh, sure. it's, it's a super, what do you think when you hear all the negative stuff people say about torts, is it just all because of his personality? Do you think he gets a bad rap as a coach because he has amassed a pretty good record as a coach in the NHL? What, what do you think? Cause you're a torts guy. Like we had Marty beer on a couple, a year ago and he's like, I'm a torts guy. What, what do you say to those people who are like, ah, torts, he's just an, he's the worst. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, you said you guys kind of butted heads, right. At times. Yeah. And I think that's, Obviously, you know, every player is not going to, you know, get along with their coach to a degree. And so, um, you know, he's definitely hard on hard on guys, hard on skilled players that not necessarily, you know, don't want to always play that hard defensive, you know, shot blocking sacrifice kind of game. But, you know, you still need those guys on your team. And I think that's what, uh, you know, he realized uh, towards has probably realized over the years is that you need, you need a mix of everything. And, and yeah, certainly you want everybody to buy into, you know, that shot blocking, that sacrifice mentality, but to a degree. And, um, you know, I'm sure he 
his stern personality in the media to, to somebody's phone ringing and, and by accident and, and stuff, you know, that's just, you know, towards being the stubborn side of himself at times, I guess. But, um, you know, like every, everybody has a coach that they don't always get along with. It's not going to be perfect for every player. But um, like I said, if if, uh, if you as a player, like the teams that he's had success with, when everybody is really bought in and, and obviously I got a taste of it playing for him in New York and then with the lightning there playing against that Columbus team that swept us, like it's just you're, you're, you're banging your head against the wall because there's nothing you can do when the team's playing so well to that system. So well, defensively, you, you've just got nothing. You can't, you can't, can't create anything. And here they are, they come down and then they score and you feel like you're doing well defensively, but they, you know, they're opportunistic, but still, like I said, his style of play, if you get the team to, to buy in and, and be really dialed in with those habits, it's tough to stop. Well, it's contrast tough. him to a John Cooper. Could you go from Torts, oh, <laughs> who is just a military style, and then Cooper seems to be the polar opposite? What was that like going from that environment to Tampa Bay? Oh, that was that was a huge adjustment. And they talk about a team filled with you know true, truly skill, speed, skating all through the lineup, and then I'm you know so many more, so much more detail. Like you talked about, Torts has that little bit of X and O plan, but it's boom more about attitude, more about mentality. Um, and then, you know, Cooper was so good about the X's and O's and, and different little plays in the ozone. And I've never even thought of some of this stuff, but I've alone heard about some of these things in the ozone that, that, you know, Coop was, was uh, driving home to the team there in Tampa when I first got there. And it was just, you know, so eye opening and, and, uh, you know, reason why they've been able to score so many goals over the years, their offense has always been known to be there. So, um, it was really fun to see that side of the game a little bit more uh, breaking teams down, a little bit more adjustments, even from game to game, you know, switching up styles, little things in the ozone. And um, it was really fun to, uh, you know, kind of break, break it down and, and make more of adjustments here throughout the season. Is that why you had your best offensive output your first full season in Tampa Bay? You just, because it wasn't, you're not a bad offensive player, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie and say you're, you know, Carlson or anything or McCart. Yeah. Was it easier to play in that system? You you just felt more comfortable, or was it just you had because the forwards in New York were pretty good themselves? No, yeah. And and obviously the game has changed a little bit, opened up a lot more, and and there's a lot more speed and skill. Obviously, that team in 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 New York, like you talk about, has some skill offensively. And I mean, there are some superstars in uh, in Tampa down there that could, you know, put the puck in the net. So um I'd say, you know, 50% of the time it's a breakout pass that ends up, you know, you getting an assist on it and, and that kind of system. But no doubt, I mean, like I talked about, if you, you know, you, good skating defenseman, that's kind of a necessary thing in that system that they play in Tampa, we, we getting up the ice and, and joining the rush that way. Um, like I said, making different reads in the ozone and, and just, like I said, using your skating ability to be aggressive, you know, even when you don't have the puck, just trying to swarm, swarm them. Uh, you know, even 200 feet away from your net in the offensive zone, gapping. We're, we were always talking about gapping and trying to stay in their face. And um, like I said, just being able to pinpoint different things in the ozone, you get in the habit. Everybody just kind of reads off each other, just becomes natural. And, and mm-hmm. uh, that's why you see the goals scoring that they've had over the years in Tampa. They're, they're, they just thrive in it. 
So I want to take it back to New York for a minute. In 2015, Ryan Callahan gets traded and you get the captaincy. Can you tell us a little bit about like how that went down and what that conversation was like with, with the organization? Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we, we traded Cali right at the deadline. So then we went on that playoff run, uh, you know, I guess without a true captain, so to speak, but we had some great, great leaders on the team with, with, you know, Stahl Girardi, Brad Richards, uh, Marty St. Louis, who we picked up in the trade too. So right. um, no doubt we had some great leaders, but yeah, then it was the off season there. And, um, you know, I had, I was kind of locked in on a six year deal. I think I had, four years, five years left on it still. And, um, you know, you could have, like I said, could have gave to so many guys on the team. You had, like you said, Stahl and Girardi who've been there since day one and I'm um, a little bit older than me and experienced. So was I, I wasn't necessarily expecting to get it. I knew I probably was a candidate as a young player on the team. And, um, you know, it was, wasn't, uh, I think the first time I heard about it was a, just a summer discussion with Vigneault. Vigneault was a coach at the time. Um, and he, he said, you know, what, what kind of things, you know, how would you feel about it? If you were the captaincy, I said, you know, I would, I'd love it. It'd be a huge honor. And, and, uh, I'd take, take everything I've learned from those, these guys on the team and that, that have been a mentor to me and, and really don't have to change much. It's, we've got good character on the team and it's a good culture. We, we want to win. We know what we're trying to accomplish here is, 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 you know, go for that cup. So it was, you know, nothing that drastically would need to be changed as far as the way the locker room felt and whatnot. So I didn't feel like it was too much of a, I guess, a burden or an extra job, so to speak, because we already had such a good group of guys there. And it was more or less, um, you know, the franchise putting a letter on, on my Jersey to, you know, be a, be a part of the leadership group. And, and like I said, it had to, got to be able to lean on Marty St. Louis and, and, you know, Mark Stahl, Girardi, all these guys steps too. And, and uh, so it was great, great leadership group to be a part of. And, and uh, looking back on it, still learned a ton, even when, when they did give me the captaincy about how to handle certain situations and looking back on it, learn things that, uh, you know, help you help you today. Probably the highlight of your hockey career being named captain. You, you could say it. Oh, for sure. Team <laughs> and thrill and, and uh, it was a huge honor. Uh, it was, it was, uh, it was a blast to, to be in, to be in that role, a uh, uh, captain of an NHL team. So many highlights, Ryan, so far in this interview. Uh, I think we're up to four now. It's unbelievable. Uh, I'm pretty fortunate, you know, fortunate to be on some good teams. And, and uh, like I said, just, just great groups of guys everywhere I've been. It's been, it's been a blessing thus far and, and hopefully not finished yet. So, yeah, you named captain. Everything's good. I think you were the, the second Rangers defenseman to win like Rangers MVP and this and that since Brian Leach. It's a big deal. Big deal. You're the, you're the talk of the town. You're, you're Ryan McDonough. And then they trade your, your behind to the Tampa Bay lightning in 2008. And they just break down the whole team. They trade you, they trade Miller. Callahan was gone. Previously, we talked to him, Brian Boyles, Anton Strom. Everybody went to Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's like there was a direct it was flight. A it was just the lines of communication were open between the two GMs. Was that a surprise to you? A to get traded and then B to get traded to Tampa where everybody already was. So you knew. Well, I mean, we were so used to, to going on these playoff runs and, and adding guys at the deadline to, to try and get us, you know, over the hump. I mean, we traded for Keith Yandel, we traded for Rick Nash, we traded for uh, Eric Stahl one year. And, and, you know, here we are, I think we were a couple, two, three months into the year. 
Um, and you know, I, I'm sure you've heard about that letter that they came out with to the fans and said mm -hmm. that, you know, we basically aren't, aren't going to go for it. I think we were only three, two or three points out of a playoff spot at the time. So right in the mix there with obviously, you know, half the season to go. So as a player, and, and like I said, we were so used to the Rangers, you know, being super competitive and going for it here. That was the sh part that was shocking because, you know, we still felt like we were a group hungry to want to win and, and had a lot of pieces to do it. And so to speak. So, um, and then you just, like you said, you start seeing the dominoes fall, the, the Nash goes, uh, I forget who, what kind of order it was. Michael Grabner went, um, you know, steps had gone in the summer before that season. And so obviously I, I didn't know where, where I stood in their plans. Obviously I was the captain at the time. I didn't know if they were, you know, going to want to keep me a part of the next phase of this, you know, yeah, you're still young retool or whatnot. Um, I remember having a, uh, a discussion with, with Gorton and, and, um, you know, he was like, we, we still love you as a captain. We, we think you're doing a great job here. And he's like, you know, unfortunately you're we're one of good player on this team and you're a good asset for us. So, um, he basically didn't tell me then and there that I was getting traded, but it sounded like, you know, they were listening. So I knew there was a good possibility. And as it got closer to the deadline, obviously, uh, you know, Hank is, is, uh, hearing things on his phone and talking to different teams and still even up until deadline day, I, I don't think we really knew it was hundred percent going to go down, but he had a good feeling as, as it got closer there, um, that something might be in the works. And so I actually had a broken hand at the time of that trade deadline and the team was flying all the way to Vancouver on deadline day. So here I was, I went and skated on my own with, with the skills coach in the morning of deadline day. And then went and had lunch up in the cafeteria there and the whole war room yep. staff is there eating. And, and then I go back, I'm, you know, watching TSN in the training room by myself. And I'm like, you know what, this is, this isn't how I want this to go. If I do get traded, I'd rather, find out the news with my wife. We just had our daughter six months ago at the time. So I was like, I buzzed home quick. Sure enough on that drive home, Hank's like, you know, I think you're going to get traded here. And then I walk in the door 10 minutes later and, and Gordon calls me and tells me I got traded to Tampa. And I was like, wow, this is nuts. Like it, it, it happened so fast, right? You, you're just kind of shell shocked when you hear the news actually goes down. Yeah. You start, you know, going through the the what ifs, all certain scenarios in your head. How's it going to go down? You know, we got to sell the house, got to move, got to get everybody to settle down there quick. This is mid season. So I'm yeah. going to go and, you know, the next day they expect me down there. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, it's kind of pack your bags and, and, you know, leave the wife and the, the new daughter back behind to, to handle the house and yeah. you know, I'll try to find something for you, you know, in Tampa when we, when we get settled. So, but I was, I mean, I was excited about, you know, the fact Tampa wanted me because obviously they were a team similar to, to the Rangers hadn't won yet, had a, you know, core group of guys that have been there for a while and, um, had my, you know, D partner for the last five, six years and Dan Girardi there. So I was like, well, perfect. I couldn't be away from him too long. It was only six <laughs> months or whatever. And then here we are back on the same team together. And like you said, a lot of familiar faces from the Rangers that were there with, with Strawman and, and whatnot. So. Um, it, it was just uh, a, a great spot to go to for me. And, and ultimately in hindsight, now talking, it, it's worked out really well uh, with the success we've had there, but what a great, what a great spot to raise a family and, and uh, play, play at Amelie arena there too, in front of those fans.
Yeah, everybody knows you won two cups. You just lost the third one here this year to Colorado, which was a fantastic series. What was the difference? I want to know. You've won two Stanley Cups. You you mentioned going to Tampa Bay. Similar situation. Group of guys been there a long time. Hadn't really got over the hump. That was a situation. You were in New York for eight years. Couldn't get over the hump. What was the difference between Tampa and New York? Why couldn't we do that in New York? Why did you not win me a Stanley Cup in New York in 2012-2013? I mean, I think the biggest the biggest mindset with our group in Tampa was, you know, like I talked about a little bit, we we were offense, we could score, we wanted to score, you know, four, five, six goals a game. But, you know, it took us some hard lessons to realize more importantly, how many can you keep out of your net, you know? This, the, the, the attention to detail defensively, uh, making the right reads, staying above, you know, not giving up those odd man looks, not turning the puck over in your own zone. How can you get out of your own zone quick and try to get, you know, to that offensive zone forecheck, but just that mindset alone of, you know, how can we, what do we need to do to keep them the least amount of pucks out of our net and, and make it easy on our goalie. I mean, obviously in Tampa, we had unreal goalie. We had, unreal goalie in New York too. And, um, you know, it just seemed like we, we, we changed our mindset as far as, you know, instead of needing or, or not needing, even looking for 18, 20 scoring chances a game, let's try to get, you know, 10, 12, 14, but only give up six or eight. Okay, we'll take our chances, try to win a game yeah. two, one, three, two, as opposed to six, five, you know, those run and gun games. And I think obviously we had, you know, we, there's all world players there and, skill. So, you know, those guys could finish. We had, you know, power play that is as lethal as any in the league and, and, um, our penalty kill took a lot of pride in, in being, you know, strong there. But, uh, as a whole, I think that group, you know, just needed to kind of reset their mind as far as how, how much of a difference it can make if you, if you buy into the defensive game, as far as, you know, just being patient, not trying to force things offensively, not looking for that perfect play. Um, and you do that over time, over habit, obviously you learn a hard lesson there losing to Columbus. And I think our group after that just said to hell with it. We got to, we got to do whatever we can here to just keep the puck out of our net. And you, you can see it with the guys that we brought in the, the Goudreau's and, 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 uh, Blake Coleman. I mean, everybody would just was blocking shots those two years that we won in a row. So, um, it was quite a transition to be a part of and, and, uh, really special group to, uh, to ultimately win with. You mentioned the transition, the, the mind, the mindset. I think it's mostly the forwards that had to change their mindset because when you, when you have the skill that you guys had up front, it seems to me, everything you mentioned, staying above it, getting back earlier, not, not sacrificing the D zone before you get out, not turning it over in the wrong spots. You guys had good defense. To me, it was a forward mentality of maybe I'm not going to get 120 points this year. Maybe I'll get 85 to 90, but we'll win 10 more games. Was that it? Just kind of getting those high-end guys who play the higher minutes to maybe just, you know, guys, maybe pull it back a little bit. Let's not be too crazy. Let's just be a little more responsible. Was that a big turning point for your team to get those guys to kind of buy in a little more defensively? Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I mean, you're, you were forward. You, you like to score goals. Those offensive guys that are, you know, all world skill, they're, they're, you know, they're paid to score goals, obviously at the end of the day, and they're on the team playing top line minutes for that. Um, but they could still, you know, the value of a, 
you know, playoff goal in a one, nothing game is, is immense. Right. Yeah. That's, you know, kind of the importance and that's the mindset we took to it too. You know, you only get two, three power plays in uh, a night and in the playoffs, usually, you know, let's try to be dialed in and and make an all world play and one of those opportunities. And and that's, you know, where you, where your all world skill and and stuff makes a huge difference. And so, um, those guys, like I said, the, the, those top line guys and, and, you know, you want them to win the, the art Rosses and all those trophies. Yeah. But I think, you know, they, some of them have, have done that over their, their years. The, the Richard trophy was stammer and, but you know, the hunger was just so, so large there to win that cup. It was just all the, you know, like I said, all the stars aligning for, for us to be, you know, give it our all and, leave it all out there for each other. Cause we knew we had such a good team and you can't keep those good teams together too. Right. You have an opportunity. Uh, you know what, like I said, it, your third line was Yanni Gord, <clears throat> Goudreau and Blake Coleman. So, <clears throat> excuse me. They were just, uh, we, we knew as a group that if we let this opportunity slip, it might not ever happen again. So yeah. That was a big uh, message too, as we, we grew into the season and for sure in the playoffs there. I want to ask about your, I mean, every year it seems like you're, you're leading the league in block shots. So you're right up there. Has that always been part of your game? Is that something that developed as you kind of progress to the pros? And even now, like you're lining up in front of an Ovechkin shot or something, what's going through your mind? Are you thinking about it? Is it, does it bother you anymore? Or is it such automatic? They don't, don't even notice it. No, I mean, obviously playing high school hockey, I didn't really think about blocking shots as a defenseman. I didn't really know that side of the game. It wasn't until I got to college there, I worked with our D coach, Marco Siki, and we would practice it. We would practice technique. I mean, we weren't practicing with pucks. He was shooting tennis balls at us, but we were going down on one knee, working on timing. You know, he would fake us sidestep. So, you, you know, you'd go down, you'd have to get up, go down again, you know, so it just became something that we would practice and became a habit. Everybody was working on it, you know, a couple of days a week, you know, cause you, you get to practice Monday through Thursday there, you're working on all sorts of different skills defensively. And it was, like I said, huge looking back on my three years there at Wisconsin, that coaching staff was a big reason why I chose them. So I think that's where it started to, you know, become instilled in my game is, is uh, the college ranks there. And, um, you know, then you get thrown into the, 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 the group we had in New York with torts being the coach and those demon and that I got to play with. Um, and I think the value you, you see the difference it makes. And we, uh, like I talked about with Tampa, you see the, the difference in one big block shot can make on the BK could be the difference in the game. Uh, especially when you're talking about the guys that are shooting it. And that's, that's the part that, you know, ultimately you're, you're willing to do it. It's, you know, it might hurt the Ovechkin shot, but, um, could be the difference between winning and losing and winning a series and, you know, going for a cup. So, um, I think it's become such a, you know, people around the league take more pride in it, which I think is great. Uh, like young guys like yourself that are talking about it more, um, it just seems like it's becoming more and more a part of the DNA of winning teams. So, uh, for somebody that does it and it's part of their game, part of my job, it, it, it feels good that the, the league is going to it. I'm sure the forwards don't and no, you know, guys get frustrated when they're teeing it up and they're getting blocked, but it helps you win games. Doesn't always show up on the score sheet. They miss a lot of them too. That's what's frustrating. <laughs> Goal, goaltenders get pissed. They missed, you know, a save. Us D men, I get pissed when you, you miss the blocks because they hurt most of the time and you're not getting credit for them. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's uh, all fun though. 
I want to ask one more question too. You've played with a lot of good players over the course of your career, obviously. Who has been your all-time favorite defensive partner besides John? Besides John? No, I'd have to be obviously Dan Girardi. We, we, we were played together for almost six, six and a half, seven years between the Rangers and then in, in Tampa there. So, um, and even, like I said, Mark Stahl, never a partner, but on the team for so long, the two of them just unbelievable mentors. And, um, you know, they could say this is true. When we, when we won in the bubble, they were one of the first two guys that I texted right away. I texted them like, cause of everything that they taught me. And, um, just seeing their sacrifice that they would, would do to try to help the team win. It just instilled in my game. So um, both those guys are a huge, huge reason why I was able to be a part of a couple of cup winning teams. And, and uh, you know, unfortunately I wish I could have, could have won with those guys throughout the the careers. Obviously Mark's still going for it now in, in Florida, but G is a coach in Buffalo. So it's so fun to, uh, to stay in touch with those guys and see those guys whenever I can, because they, uh, they mean a lot to me. Do you think Dan coaching Buffalo is the good spot for him to win a Stanley Cup? I mean, Ryan, in the next uh, couple seasons, do you think the Sabres are going to take that next step with Dan? Well, he's, there? I know he's he's thrilled with the young guys that he gets to work with. Um, well, he gets Darlene and Powers. So, yeah, he's I got know. some pretty good kids to work That's with. What I mean, he's like, for a first time or a young coach, like – you know, it's great to see these guys with all world skating skills and, and, you know, be willing to listen to them. So obviously he's, he'd be the first to admit, you know, he probably never had as much skill as those guys, but like I said, he can still those, those defensive habits and just make them into the, you know, the 200 foot all tool defenseman that uh, teams love to have. So he's going to, he's doing great things there already. And I don't know how much longer he's going to keep doing it because he's got some young kids that he likes to, uh, to uh, coach too, but um, I'm, I'm sure they've been thrilled with them in Buffalo too. So they are, they absolutely are. Do you know where you stand all time playoff games played by any chance? No, no, I don't all time. I don't know. You're up there with the greats, Ryan. I did. <laughs> I, I was singing about you before this interview. I'm like, man, he, he seems like he's been in the playoffs forever. You made it every single year. You've been in the NHL. You're, you're you've got 185 playoff games. You're 31st. And I was just looking at the guys in front of you. you go on a couple of deep playoff runs, three, four more years. You'll be number one in the NHL all time. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Isn't that amazing uh, to think about? Ryan McDonough could be number one all time. You could pass Claude Lemieux, Scott Stevens. The top right now is Chelios Lidstrom. Isn't that, I know. isn't that crazy? I know. And that's, I remember, I think, I, I don't know when it was probably somewhere in college or even high school. When you start, I started paying attention more to pro hockey because if anybody who knows me know, I, I, uh, I watched my NFL uncle play and growing up and that was my sport. So I, I obviously played hockey from growing up, but, uh, in Minnesota, but, um, once I started to kind of learn more about the NHL and you, you started watching the Red Wings on ESPN, you hear, I thought that, that was always the coolest stat to me was Lindstrom never missed the playoff in his career. And, mm -hmm. and here I am going into my 13th season and made the playoffs every year. And I'd love to be able to, you know, keep that streak going. Cause I think that, uh, you know, speaks volumes to, you know, obviously you're very fortunate to be part of great teams and, and things have to work out timing wise, but uh, it's definitely something I take a lot of pride in and, and uh, certainly, you know, tell my wife that you can only play this game for so long and, and the playoffs are why, you, you know, you put in all this work. So, um, 
it's been, uh, like I said, very blessed to be on great teams. And, and like I said, really looking forward to this new chapter here with Nashville. Again, another team, I think that's got a veteran core that's been there for a while and, and uh, hungry to win. And, and uh, so am I. So hopefully I can help uh, help them continue to have success and get over the hump. Yeah, well, we'll let you go right now. But I just want to touch on the trade. Was it a surprise, Ryan? Because to me, I know, listen, Tampa's over the cap by a gazillion dollars every year. Breezeball manages to make it work. By the way, was was Kucherov really hurt? Just tell us here. Or was that just all a game to get under the cap? Then he came back in the playoffs because people cap subversion, this and that. Or was he really hurt? I can honestly say I was working out with him in the gym and and uh, he was healthy as an ox. I knew it. He wasn't. He was not healthy. He was working out like this was three, four weeks before camp had started and and he would, he was like falling over after some squats a couple of times complaining about his hips and his groin. And if anybody who knows Kucherov, he loves to skate like three, four hours a day and be in the gym for 30 minutes. And so when he wasn't on the ice, being able to do the things that he likes to do because he's in pain, we knew something was going on. And um, so he, he tried to train and rehab through it and, and make it go away, but it wasn't obviously successful. And it just happened to be, because we were on a short summer there and, and after all the bubble and, and whatnot, uh, trying to, you know, figure out his health situation was just kind of chaotic at the, at, at the way everything was going on. So, um, he had to have that surgery to be able to play and, and do what he did. It, it was very ironic that it was, uh, a couple of days before the camp and whatnot, but, uh, no, he was honestly hurt. He, he went under the knife, so he wasn't lying. <laughs> so they say, yeah. So, so they say, but we'll never know. All right. One last one on a scale of one to 10, how surprised were you that you got dealt this off season? Were you, did you feel it coming in after the season? I, I did not feel it. I was, I was very surprised. And uh, yeah, like I said, just because of how great of a group, great of a culture that we've had there. And um you know, just the run that we went on again to make it all the way to the finals come up a little bit short, obviously, but, you know, prove that the group is still capable of making these runs. And, um, you know, I'm obviously, you know, just one, one part of it, but, uh, you know, playing, playing some decent minutes for the team and whatnot and, and still in a big role. So I was, uh, I was surprised. Yeah, it was, and it happened so fast. That was the hard part about it. I think we lost on a Saturday there and then, uh, you know, you have exits meetings. I think I met with Julian on a, on a Wednesday and, and, you know, he broke the news to me that they were wanting to move me or wanting to trade me and stuff. So. Um, you know, here I am, we just lost and, and you're still in shock and, and just drained from that. And then I'm literally about to fly out that night to go back for a 4th of July weekend with the family at the oh. cabin. And, and then I get this news thrown at me. So it was the most unrelaxing 4th of July weekend ever for me. Um, sitting there waiting for a phone call every hour on the hour to hear what was going on. So, um, no, but no, like I talked, said before, I mean, you're going to miss the group of guys most importantly. And that's, what's obviously the toughest part. So, um, but like I said, really looking forward to uh, Nashville and and building the same relationships with, with those guys that we had in Tampa. So um, it's a great city. And and, uh, like I said, thankful that are excited about the team stepping up and wanting to make the trade and and fitting me in there with, with, with uh, the Preds. So um, 
it, it, like I said, happened so fast, but uh, now that things are kind of settling down, uh, family and I are getting really excited for Nashville and everything that it has to offer. Yeah. That's a tough conversation with Julian. Another tough conversation is uh, you're, you, I'm assuming you're going to have, or haven't had it yet, or maybe you have had it. Um, have you told Roman Yossi that you're the new captain of the team? Is that, that's going to be a difficult conversation because no, I know you, had. you're going to put your imprint on this team. Is that, when is that going to happen? That conversation, Ryan? No, I've, I've chatted with Yossi on the phone a couple of times now, and he's been obviously very welcoming a handful of guys have reached out and, and, uh, and no, like I said, no doubt. I mean, I, I, I'm going to, go over the boards where my name is called. And, uh, if a guy wants to ask a question about stuff, I'm there for it. Just like the guys were before me in, in New York when I was a young player or even an older player now. And, and so, um, like I said, I hope to just instill the, the main message of these opportunities don't come around very often. You never know when your last run at it's going to be. And, and, uh, you know, we've got a good, good, a lot, a lot of good pieces there in Nashville, I believe, and uh, a great goalie, great defense and, and guys that can score and, and uh, guys that play the role really well throughout the lineup. So um, just trying to seize those opportunities because, uh, you know, good teams are together only for a short amount of time. So try to make the most of it. When you go to camp for the first day, do you wear both rings on your hands? Are they around your neck? Do you have them in your locker displayed? Where do you keep them? Just so everybody knows the magnitude of Ryan McDonough, because I know you'd like to do that. Oh, I'll have them over for dinner. I'll put them on the, just the fireplace mantle there, maybe just so they're just out of the corner of their eye. They can maybe see it. And, with and the spotlights on them. Yeah. little spotlight. Just the picture of you with the cup. And what, what, uh, what opportunities are out there for you? If you, if you can put it all together, but, uh, yeah, no, it's been a wild, uh, wild summer, short summer, kind of flipped upside down with that trade going down, but, uh, you know, still feel really good even at the age of 33 and feel like I got a lot of good years left and, and, uh, thrilled to be joining a, a team organization fan base. Uh, you know, like it's, it's definitely yeah. going to Nashville now to be on the home side of it. I'm going to be, it's going to be awesome to experience that. So, well, it seems like history repeating itself where you're going from one team who has all the talent and hasn't quite put it all together yet to get over that hump. Hopefully you're the, the missing link there, Mac. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I, I really appreciate it. I know you're busy. Like you said, you got a lot to deal with in the next couple of months here, but yeah, go enjoy it. Say hi to the family for me. And uh, yeah, good luck this year, my awesome. friend. Appreciate Thank you for joining thanks. us. Thanks. Tim, anything? No, thanks for joining, Mac. See ya. Awesome. Thanks, fellas. Anytime. No problem. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. Delivered by DoorDash.